Hey, it's Mel Robbins. Let's cut to the chase. There is a change you want to make right now, but you're waiting to feel motivated. You don't need motivation. You've got me. You can change your life anytime you want. And when you're ready, the Mel Robbins podcast is here to help you with inspiration and simple science-backed tools to help you create a better life. Listen to me and you'll feel motivated, all right. Listen and follow the Mel Robbins podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Good evening, everyone. We begin the readout tonight in Florida, where tourism is king. When it comes to that particular sector, Disney rules the world. Now, remember, Disneyland opened in Southern California in the 1950s. But then in 1964, Walt Disney, the man, decided that he wanted to open another park and began buying millions of dollars worth of Central Florida farmland. Orlando was a backwater town before the Magic Kingdom came along. Miami and Key West, it was not. We're talking mud and alligators and flatlands. Well, Disney changed all that, welcoming its first guests more than 50 years ago and transforming the swamp into an entertainment empire. Opening day drew about 10,000 visitors to Disney World. Not a very large crowd, possibly because the children are still in school. But an estimated 10 million visitors are expected this next year. How much will they spend? Well, that depends upon where they come from. The people came, as they say, and today Disney World is the, no- is the world's number one tourist destination, visited and Instagram by millions each year. It isn't just Orlando's largest employer. It is Orlando. But now Florida Governor Ron DeSantis is determined to make the happiest place on Earth a living hell. Baby Maga is mad that Disney opposes his don't say gay bill. So today, the Florida Senate voted to revoke the privileges that have allowed Disney World to govern itself since the theme park opened its glittery doors. Meaning, the Trumpy Republican governor who signed anti-gay and anti-trans legislation designed to censor and punish educators and erase the existence of people's lives is going after this private company who dared to contradict him because A, he's an authoritarian on the fascist spectrum, and B, he thinks it will make him president. Wow, Ron, you really do live in fantasy land, don't you? Or rather, critter country. But here's the thing. You can cast this off as one dumb strategy by one very dumb governor. But DeSantis stands strategy is fanning out nationwide. Republicans seemingly everywhere, all at once, are targeting a group that is already fighting to exist in public life, LGBTQ young people, introducing and in some cases passing legislation that excludes trans women and even little kids from competing in sports, branded as fairness in women's sports bills, as if the Handmaid's Tale party really gives a toss about women. There's legislation that would bar LGBTQ issues from being even brought up in schools, branded as parental rights bills. Well, don't fall for that either. We are talking hundreds of bills filed this year alone seeking to impose government control over sexuality and gender, from restricting bathrooms to the right to receive gender-affirming health care. It is a coordinated national campaign bolstered by conservative operatives obsessed with stamping out anyone who doesn't look, live, and vote like them while pouring gasoline into the fake outrage machine to score points at the ballot box. And because the Republican Party has now fully absorbed the QAnon cult, words like groomer and pedophile are being hurled against anyone, anyone who dares to disagree with any conservative policy stance, which is what happened when a Republican state senator sent out a fundraising email containing a completely made up and frankly defamatory allegation that a Democratic colleague supported grooming and sexualizing kids. 
That Democratic state senator, Mallory McMorrow of Michigan, responded to a Republican colleague in a speech that lit up the Senate floor along with Twitter. I didn't expect to wake up yesterday to the news that the senator from the 22nd district had overnight accused me by name of grooming and sexualizing children in an email fundraising for herself. So I sat on it for a while wondering why me? And then I realized, because I am the biggest threat to your hollow, hateful scheme. Because you can't claim that you are targeting marginalized kids in the name of, quote, parental rights if another parent is standing up to say no. Michigan State Senator Mallory McMorrow joins me now, along with Florida State Senator Chevron Jones. Thank you both for being here. Uh, Chef, I'm going to go back to where we started here and go, and, and go back to Florida for just a second. As a le- state legislature... What do you make of this attempt to essentially pass a bill that that attacks one company, just one company, Disney, by revoking its self-governing rules, which would essentially, I don't know, increase taxes on the people in Orlando, could drive Disney out of Florida? The governor of Colorado um, has already welcomed Disney if they'd like to do Mountain Disney and move to Colorado, saying they won't have this kind of authoritarian socialism there. Your thoughts on this bill? Well, we just vote. First of all, good evening, enjoy. We voted on this today in the Senate. And in the, in the middle of debate, the question was asked yesterday, excuse me, a questioning. It was asked, what will happen to the debts that are already owed by Disney? Would that be absorbed into Osceola County and Orange County? The answer was yes. Here's what's happening. What we're seeing is that the governor is continuously doing what he does best. And he is ensuring that people who go against what he says, he will punish them. It's just not Disney, which by mind you, is the largest employer of Floridians here within the state of Florida, but he is doing the same thing with um, elected officials, making it clear that if you go against me, our primary. And as you said in your, in, in your introduction, Governor DeSantis is doing exactly what he knows best. And that is, he is going across the country, going through the state of Florida, pushing a narrative that he knows is not real creating issues about uh, over non-issues. And that's where we are in the state of Florida right now. And just, just to stay with you just one moment, because it always seems that uh, Ron DeSantis's authoritarian impulses also seem to align with his campaign donation strategy, right? His views on COVID just happened to benefit one of his biggest donors that had a, a, a treatment for COVID that he then did pop-up shops saying, you should go get your treatment. Don't worry, go ahead and get COVID. We're not going to stop you. We're going to have no mask mandates. But if you get COVID, you need to go to this pop-up shop where like my biggest donor is. You know, he gave out the uh, vaccines through Publix, which happens to be one of his biggest donors. Um, everything seems to align with this. This particular thing, where is the payoff to DeSantis? I'm sorry, everything that he does, I'm always looking for where the money goes back into his campaign coffers. He has now targeted the cruise industry, which is one of the other biggest tourism you know, benefactors financially to the state of Florida. He's attacked Planned Parenthood. We get that. That gets the right wingers all tweaked up. School districts and teachers, a huge voting block that he's now attacking. And Disney. How does he think that that benefits him politically? Because that's the only reason he does anything. Well, it's because my colleagues, they continue to give in to him. They bow down uh, to the governor. And listen, that's what happens with bullies. When you allow bullies to continue to move and do what they want to do, they continue to come back because they know they can win. 
You attack Disney. If Disney gives in, he's going to know that he can do this with other companies. He did it with the cruise industry. And again, he's doing exactly what the individuals who are in his party. Governor DeSantis is playing the governor. He's playing the legislature. And he's also playing the Supreme Court of Florida. That is yeah. what we call authoritarianism. And it's authoritarian socialism because it's essentially saying the government is going to control even the thoughts of companies. Yeah. Think about that, y'all. And what they're also doing, and I'm just going to point this out to our audience before uh, I bring in our other wonderful guest. Whenever they do this, you guys follow the money. You have all these people attacking Disney. But what do they want to do? Here's the Daily Wire, um, one of these right wing uh, outfits. They said they're going to make their own kids shows to rival Disney. They think they're going to make people turn against Disney, but they're going to buy their little shows. God knows what their little children's shows are going to be like. You have Ted Cruz saying this ridiculousness attacking Disney. Let's just play it again. This is cut two. There are people who are misguided trying to drive, you know, Disney stepping in saying, you know, in every episode now they're going to have, you know, <laughs> uh, you know, Mickey and Pluto going at it. Like, <laughs> really? Thank you for that image, Senator. You know, uh, but it's sure. just like, come on, guys. Like, like these are kids. And, and you know, y you could always shift to Cinemax if you want that. I guess he had a Cinemax uh, account that was actually really pretty tawdry back in the day. Senator McMorrow, you know, you've now been the victims of this kind of game playing where they're now trying to take Disney and turn people against it and turn people against people like you to say that if you are not right down the line on right wing evangelicalism, then you are a groomer. You are pro pedophile. They did this to Katan, Judge Katanji Brown Jackson. You better be a right winger or we're going to use this, the most vile kind of accusations against you to try to take you down, to try to silence you. Talk about your experience uh, in the state of Michigan. Yeah. It, and I want to say it's not even if you're not a right winger, it's if you are anybody who dares to stand up and point out that what they're doing to any marginalized community is wrong. Then it's the attempt to marginalize you and turn you into one of them, because it can't possibly be that a white suburban Christian married mom from the suburbs doesn't stand up for hate of the LGBTQ community, of the black community, that we have to teach slavery and accurate history in schools. I mean, it is absolute madness and it's disgusting. So it, it hit me, you know, a fundraising email directly accused me by name of grooming children and sexualizing kindergartners. And I am the mom of a one-year-old. And it is, it, it was disgusting. It was disgusting and it was unfounded and it's it's horrifying. And that is the playbook for everybody who dares to stand up for what is right. Have you considered um, a, a an action here? Because that is slanderous. The I've been asked action. that a lot. Yeah. And, and where where I come down on it is if I did that. Great. But you know who can't file a, a lawsuit or sue for libel? Every trans kid, every gay kid, everybody who's lower income who get hit with these attacks every single day and can't fight back. So what I would prefer to see happen is I'm not going to file a lawsuit, but I want more straight, white, middle, middle, upper middle class suburban moms to stand up and take the hit, too, because then it doesn't mean anything. And it's revealed for the hateful bull that it is.
Yeah. And I mean, we've now had a Disney heir come forward, um, stand up and, and, you know, say that, you know, they regretted not standing up to the, the, the bill before. But people are afraid, Chevron. I mean, what, what the right is trying to do is to take the most absurd possible claims and claims that really come from QAnon, honestly. They've, they've adopted the QAnon belief system as their campaign strategy to essentially make people so afraid, as you know, as the wonderful state senator just said, to even stand up for LGBTQ people, lest you be lumped in and called a pedophile or a pedophile supporter. That is fascistic. And I wonder how that is playing out inside of your state legislature with your colleagues. Are they okay with this, your Republican colleagues? Well, obviously they are okay with it, but what we're seeing with this national movement that the Republicans are on is that if I can't win on the issues, then what I'll do is I'll, I'll win on the backs of marginalized people, whether it's black, whether it's the LGBTQ people, whether it's women. And so that's what they're doing right now because they're not presenting any new ideas because while we're in Florida right now dealing with a property insurance issue, dealing with an affordable, affordable housing crisis, dealing with teachers leaving the classroom, we're not dealing with that. You know what we dealt with today? We dealt with an unconstitutional congressional map in the legislature where the governor himself drew the map when we should have been dealing with something totally different to make sure that we put food on the tables of families in the state of Florida. So across the, across the country, Joy, across the country, we're going to continue to see what we're seeing right now until more accomplices, not allies, like Senator McMorrow, stand up and say, not on the backs of the marginalized community. And, and Senator McMorrow, right. And I think it's a very good point that Senator uh, Jones makes. They're doing this while also drawing gerrymandered maps to say, you know what, if you don't like this too bad, you can't vote us out. We're going to gerrymander away your districts. We're going to say that there can't be majority minority districts. Majority minority districts are unfair to white people. Therefore, we don't they don't exist at all. Poof, gone. And so they're doing that aggressively in Florida. Are you seeing a similar push to essentially lock themselves into power through attempts to use gerrymandering as a backstop to the things that that they're doing. Well, Michigan is the result of that. So Michigan votes pretty purple, 50-50 Democrats, Republicans. In 2014, uh, Republicans probably got around 47% of the vote statewide, but had 72% of state Senate seats. The state Senate has been under Republican control since 1984. We have independently drawn districts for the first time in history. So we voted in 2018 to create this independent redistricting commission. So Michigan is going to be the test bed where we finally have fair maps on a partisan basis that go up against every test nationally or, and are being held up as the gold standard. And if you want to flank to the fringe hateful right, this is the test bed where we finally get to test it out and and see if hate doesn't win and we can't let it win. Yeah. And, and what about Florida? Because, you know, my concern, of course, um, Chevron Jones, State Senator Jones, is Florida is so gerrymandered at this point and it is so red. It's it's it's, it's a red state at this stage. Is there a path, a Michigan style path for people who don't want this, who don't want to live in DeSantisstan to fight back? We did. We passed it in 2010, which was the Fair District Act, where Floridians overwhelmingly said that they didn't want mass gerrymandering. As a matter of fact, the courts had to come in 2015 to say, you know what, we'll draw the maps. But you know what happened today? We went against all of that. But let me tell you what is happening, Joy. What the Republicans are doing is they are testing 
our democracy right now. They are testing to see how far they can go. And Governor DeSantis knows what, he, what he's doing. He wants to push this to the courts and let the courts decide whether right. it's right. And this is the blueprint for across the country, because if Florida gets it done, other states are going to say, you know what, we can do this too. And much like the um, this Judge Catherine Kimball Mizell, who went from intern to lifetime seat on the court, ended the mask mandate, they're just hoping that people will appeal that and they can get that to that 6-3 right-wing court. Very quick uh, quest, uh, question to you on that, uh, Rev, uh, uh, Reverend Jones. A- any comment on the fact that the CDC now says they're going to try to appeal? I think I think the CDC, they are the scientists. They know what's right. And I think if everyone we've been doing this for two years, everyone just follow the rules and stop acting like kindergartners. We'll be just fine. State Senators Mallory McMorrow, who just lit up the world uh, with that amazing rant yesterday, and State Senator Chevron Jones of Florida. Thank you both. Um, we appreciate you both. And before we go to break, a very quick update on a frightening moment at the Capitol late today, just in the last hour, Capitol Police sent an alert telling people to evacuate due to a suspicious aircraft. Moments later, the police said there was no threat and the evacuation was ordered uh, was, was ordered out of an abundance of caution. For more, I'm joined by NBC's Tom Costello. Tom, what is the latest? Well, Joy, what a what a night. Uh, we were standing right here on top of the NBC News Bureau across the street from Union Station. Right over there is the Capitol doing a live report for NBC Nightly News. And just as we're going on the air, we see a small plane coming in, a small it looked like a Cessna type plane coming in right around the Capitol. And immediately we saw four or so parachutists dropping out of this plane, which is obviously something that you don't normally see around the Capitol building. Now, it looked to us like these parachutists were not dropping onto the Capitol grounds, but rather onto the national field, the the ballpark uh, just probably a mile or so from the Capitol. Sure enough, it turns out as Capitol Police evacuated the building, said that they had an unauthorized plane in their airspace, they then come to find out, in fact, it was the Army Golden Knights parachuting team parachuting into (laughs) Nationals Park, the baseball stadium, for a military appreciation night. Somehow they weren't communicating with Capitol Police. Capitol Police had ordered the building evacuated. And Joy, as you know, this place is always very concerned whenever anything unusual happens, given the history of attacks over the last 20, 30 years or so, right? Not just January 6th. And so with that, people became very concerned. Thankfully, very quickly it became clear. We saw that Cessna take off, fly away, and we saw those parachutists drop over to the stadium and the police gave the all clear. But it was a tense few moments. Everybody on top of the roof here said, what the heck, parachutists? What's going on here? Well, that's what happened. <laughs> Tom Costello, a tense world that we live in, my friend. Uh, that is just the world that we live in today. Thank you very much for clearing that up for us. You really bet. appreciate you. And up you next bet. on the readout, cheers. Ukraine's desperate last stand in Mariupol as a local commander says they are in their final days, if not hours. Also, Jared Kushner makes it easy to follow the money. The breadcrumbs lead directly from the Saudi prince's bank account right into Jared's little pockets. And we have a pretty good idea why he's getting all that cash. Plus, artist, filmmaker, and hip-hop pioneer Fab Five Freddy joins me on this 420 to talk about the glaring problems with social equity in the rapidly expanding weed industry following decades of racial disparities in marijuana-related prosecutions. The readout continues after this. Today and every day, Planned Parenthood is committed to ensuring that everyone has the information and resources they need to make their own decisions about their bodies, including abortion care. 
lawmakers who oppose abortion are attacking Planned Parenthood, which means affordable, high-quality, basic health care for more than 2 million people is at stake. The right to control our bodies and get the health care we need has been stolen from us. And now, politicians in nearly every state have introduced bills that would block people from getting the sexual and reproductive care they need. Planned Parenthood believes everyone deserves health care. It's a human right. That's why they fight every day to push for common-sense policies that protect our right to control our own bodies and against policies that interfere with decisions between patients and their doctor. Planned Parenthood needs your support now more than ever. With supporters like you, we can reclaim our rights and protect and expand access to abortion care. Visit PlannedParenthood.org future. That's PlannedParenthood.org future. We're hearing desperate pleas today as Ukrainian forces mount a last stand for what remains of the city of Mariupol. President Zelensky said that more than 1,000 civilians are sheltering at the sprawling steel plant where the last Ukrainian forces are barricaded. In a video, one of the remaining commanders there said his troops may only have days or maybe even hours. An estimated 100,000 civilians remain trapped in Mariupol. Ukrainian officials said a planned humanitarian corridor was thwarted amid Russian shelling. The UN Human Rights Council says more than 5 million citizens have fled Ukraine since the start of Putin's invasion. Meanwhile, the U.S. Treasury Department today rolled out another round of sanctions targeting businesses and individuals who've attempted to evade previous sanctions. And at a meeting with military leaders, President Biden touted the response of NATO members to Russia's aggression, saying he didn't think Vladimir Putin counted on such unity. For his part, the Russian leader was full of provocation and outright lies. Today, Putin oversaw a test launch of a new intercontinental ballistic missile by video conference, saying it will make those who threaten Russia think twice. And in a televised propaganda-laden event, he repeatedly told lies, telling a 12-year-old girl from eastern Ukraine that a tragedy in the Donbass forced him to launch the invasion. Joining me now, Clint Watts, MSNBC national security analyst who worked as a consultant to the FBI counterterrorism division, and Julia Iaffe, founding partner uh, and Washington correspondent for the news site Puck. Thank you both for being here. And Clint, um, so where to begin? Uh, the Mariupol situation is terrifying. Um, reportedly, there are not just military um, people sheltering in that plant, but they are saying there are civilians in there, too. They were asking for an extraction. Um, they're asking for someone from outside of the country to come and extract them. Is What are the chances that that could happen? Because if not, I think you can only fear the worst. Do we have Clint? We, we may not have. We may not have Clint. Julia, let me let me go to you, Julia. Um, the situation in Mariupol is so tragic and so repugnant. Um, I wonder how Russian TV is explaining it and explaining the essentially elimination of that city to its audiences. Well, they've been telling their audiences from the very beginning that this is all the work of Ukrainian neo-Nazi uh, bands that they call the Ukrainian army. They won't, they will rarely even say that Ukraine has a legitimate army. They just call them nationalist bands. Uh, and this has all been portrayed as the work of Ukrainians who in the, in the spin of Russian propaganda, 
that they have parked artillery and various uh, military objects in uh, civilian neighborhoods and that this is why they were bombed or they were bombed specifically civilian targets were bombed by Ukrainians in there, uh, which is false, uh, to make Russia look bad, you know, twisting and turning every which way to exonerate Russia from basically erasing this city from the face of the earth. Um, and I, I worry that a lot of Russians do believe this because they don't want to think that their country is capable of such evil. These are things, these kinds of psychological phenomena that we see mirrored elsewhere, including in the U.S., and do you see evidence of this reporting in Bloomberg that there are alarms inside of Russia uh, about the war? This is the Bloomberg reporting. A small but growing number of senior Kremlin insiders are quietly questioning his decision to go to war. They believe the invasion was a catastrophic mistake that will set the country back for years. Well, no kidding. It's going to set this country back for years. They will. They are now in a pariah state. I can't imagine any decent country um, ever dealing with them or doing business with them. European countries are now um, looking to, by the end of the year, just end their uh, imports of Russian oil. Is there any inkling um, that there is a growing discomfort with the war inside the higher epilo- ep- upper echelons of Russian governmental society? Well, this report claims to have found some, but it also makes clear, and I think that is very important, that even these people who are in the higher echelons of Russian of the Russian government or the Russian elite themselves do not believe that they have any real impact on Putin's decision, that his circle of advisors has shrunk, you know, according to the same Bloomberg report, has shrunk even more from the circle of hawkish advisors that had advised him to go into Ukraine. Uh, And that same piece makes clear that Putin is still counting on pretty high popular support for the war and for this kind of national sense that Russians will suffer and are willing to suffer economic setbacks and economic hardship for his vision of national imperial greatness. So that piece, even though it does have that little grain of hope that maybe there is, you know, fractures, there are fractures emerging in the elites, it does make clear that they likely won't change anything and that Putin's not listening to them and not planning to. Yeah. And, and by the way, just for our audience, the Washington Post is reporting that one of the people maybe in that small circle is the um, the patriarch Kirill, um, the Russian Orthodox leader. According to the Washington Post, his sermons echo and in some cases even supply the rhetoric that Putin has used. He called a leading author of one of the he's called one of the leading author of one of the ideological foundations of this war, a doctrine known as Ruski Mir or Russian world. Scary. Um, a, has- a, a, again, it's ISIS like. Let me bring Clint Watts in. Clint, um, the the calls from Mariupol for an extraction to get them out of there, um, the fact that there may that there are apparently civilians and military uh, and soldiers inside of that, you know, giant facility. What are the chances that somebody is going to come to their rescue? Uh, Joy, I think none. Uh, to be quite honest, Mariupol is pretty much dead center in the middle of Russian control at this point. They're surrounded on all sides, and, and to the south of Mariupol is the sea, the Sea of Azov, which is fully in control uh, of the Russians at this point. It's basically a Russian sea. They've surrounded it. And if nothing else, I think we should all admire what the Ukrainian military and the civilians have gone through there in Mariupol. Every day that they endure, every day that, that those Ukrainian uh, Marines endure there, they're tying up Russian forces uh, that would not be advancing and cannot advance towards the Donbass. They will be redeployed. Those Russian forces will be redeployed to the north. And this is providing 
essentially time for the rest of the Ukrainian military uh, to do a couple things. One, humanitarian evacuations from that Donbass region, any remaining ones that can be pushed essentially back out to the western part of Ukraine, but separately digging into defensive positions, repositioning some of this new military equipment that's coming in. Those in Mariupol, their bravery uh, has really given their country even more of a chance for this next wave of the fight. And, you know, I wonder if you think just, uh, you know, if you feel the sort of frustration, um, Clint, as you watch this happen, you know, you have Janet Yellen and others walk out of a G20 meeting with Russia, sort of turning their backs on Russia as a sort of normal power. But there is a sort of and so what? You know, it doesn't seem that the dictator of Russia cares whether the world thinks that he's the devil incarnate. He's just going to keep doing what he wants to do. And I wonder if you see an endpoint of something that the world can do other than what it is doing now to bring this man to make him stop, because it seems that he is so bloodthirsty and so narrowly focused that nothing will stop him. Yeah, I think there's a couple things to take note of. First, uh, we always have this idea in the West that anytime any bump in the road occurs, uh, the adversary might pull back. That's definitely not the case with Vladimir Putin. He's worried about his place in history. He is not worried about casualties. He's not worried about expenses. And, and to a, d- a degree, he's somewhat stabilized the Russian economy. And you see other countries like China kind of stepping in and, and providing some support to him. He will be able to endure, at least over the near term. I think when it looks out, you know, two, four to six months, he could be somewhat at risk, but he has a firm grip uh, on power and control. And I don't think anyone in Russia was planning or preparing or thinking to step into that role. Separately, there's probably need for a strong discussion in the West about would we help or work with President Zelensky to try and get to a quicker truce between the Ukrainians and the Russians. Every day this goes on, every day this continues, more people die. And ultimately, we could reach a stalemate that could go on for years uh, or even push uh, Putin to something like short range tactical nuclear devices. So we should, you know, start thinking about what is an exit plan for this? Is there a way we can bring it to a stop? This uh, the world cannot cannot be at the mercy of this man, you know, firing off ICBMs to try to threaten the world. I cannot imagine a world that we have to be at his mercy. I cannot. Uh, I, I hope that is not the case. Clint Watts, Julie Iaffi, thank you both very much. Still ahead, a two billion dollar side hustle with the Saudi government is raising big questions about possible influence by peddling perennial swampster Jared Kushner. Stay with us. Hey, it's Mel Robbins. Let's cut to the chase. There is a change you want to make right now, but you're waiting to feel motivated. You don't need motivation. You've got me. You can change your life anytime you want. And when you're ready, the Mel Robbins podcast is here to help you with inspiration and simple science-backed tools to help you create a better life. Listen to me and you'll feel motivated, all right. Listen and follow the Mel Robbins podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Throughout 
throughout Trump's presidency, it seemed that for any problems here at home or abroad, no matter how big or how small, the man who should never have been president kept turning to one person, Jared Kushner. Kushner brought no actual experience to his job as senior advisor. His previous gig was working for his family's commercial real estate business, which, to put it nicely, was not always thriving. But none of that mattered because Jared was married to the daughter Trump loves in the creepiest way, Ivanka, who also landed a plum job in the West Wing. Kushner became a de facto secretary of state, at least according to Trump's first actual secretary of state, Rex Tillerson. A part of Kushner's portfolio that kept raising eyebrows, Saudi Arabia and its crown prince, Mohammed bin Salman. The two were reportedly communicating regularly and privately on platforms like WhatsApp. Kushner was reported to be MBS's biggest defender in the White House after U.S. intelligence agencies concluded that bin Salman approved the killing of Washington Post columnist Jamal Khashoggi. Kushner was said to have advised MBS on how to weather the storm over the killing. According to The Intercept, MBS once boasted that he had Kushner, quote, in his pocket. Now it seems that that close relationship is paying off with interest. Just six months after leaving the White House, Kushner received a $2 billion, with a B, dollar investment for his new private equity firm from a fund controlled by the Saudi crown prince. And as the New York Times reports, it came despite objections from the fund's advisors about the merits of the deal. Those advisors questioned whether it was wise to take such a big risk on Kushner's new firm, given that Kushner has no track record in that area. The $2 billion was twice the amount the Saudi fund agreed to invest with Trump's former Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin, who also had a slimy new fund, but also an actual track record in private equity. It merits the question, why would the crown prince overrule his advisors? The Times points out that ethics experts say that such a deal creates the appearance of a potential payback for Mr. Kushner's actions in the White House or of a bid for future favor if Mr. Trump seeks and wins another presidential term in 2024. And now there are calls for the Justice Department to launch a criminal investigation into the deal. And that is up next. Following the news that Jared Kushner appears to have cashed in on his time in the White House with a $2 billion investment from none other than Saudi Arabia's crown prince, Mohammed bin Salman, there have been calls from watchdog groups and top Democrats for a criminal investigation to be launched. Senator Elizabeth Warren is urging the DOJ to get involved and take a hard look. Is there a role for DOJ or Congress or any entity to to look into this, to scrub this? I think there's a question that the Department of Justice should take a really hard look to see if that fits within any of our current. I mean, it is a kind of shaggy dog version of how you get to what's going on here. Does it violate any of our criminal laws? And I'd want to take a hard look at that. With me now is Tim O'Brien, senior columnist for Bloomberg Opinion, and Vicki Ward, investigative journalist and author of Kushner, Inc., Greed, Ambition, Corruption, The Extraordinary Story of Jared Kushner and Ivanka Trump. Uh, thank you both for being here. Vicki, I want to go to you first. You any, give us some insight, if you can. Why would um, the Saudi uh, sovereign fund, the, the Saudi fund, give $2 billion to Jared Kushner, who has no experience as that level of an investor? Why do they give him the money? Well, so that is a great question. As you say, it's not because of his track record in private equity because he doesn't have one. Um, what I reported in my Substack newsletter 
this week um, that he would investigate is that there are questions about Jared Kushner's role right at the beginning of the Trump administration in actually helping Mohammed bin Salman get his job as crown prince. Um, from where he went on to do a lot of things, including the murder of Jamal Khashoggi, uh, the roundup at the Ritz-Carlton, uh, the blockade of Qatar, where the United States has uh, our, our air base, that could be deemed to be not only against American values, but against uh, American national security. But MBS was not crown prince when Trump came into office. I report, and I have produced... Uh, evidence in legal papers that Jared Kushner and MBS were discussing the fact that there was a problem around MBS succeeding in Saudi Arabia because the US intelligence agency backed his cousin, Mohammed bin Nayef, who has since been disappeared, who, was an, who is an American hero, who was given a medal by the CIA for saving American lives. This was the man who was crown prince, this was the man, our intelligence agencies wanted to become the ruler of Saudi Arabia. He was a moderate man. This is the man who has since been deposed and now disappeared. Uh, that could be a very big reason why Mohammed bin Salman <clears throat> might want to pay Jared Kushner $2 billion. Uh, and, you know, I think that questions should be asked. Yes, I think they absolutely should. I wish I could say I was surprised, Tim O'Brien, to hear this about Jared Kushner. But this is a guy who, you know, one of the things that Vicky Ward talked about there was this blockade of Qatar. I still am old enough to remember when Jared Kushner owed a billion dollar balloon payment on 666 Fifth Avenue in New York and didn't have any way of paying it. And then suddenly Qatar, who was being asked to give him the money, demanded to give him the money, they get blockaded. And then all of a sudden, after he does this little secret trip to Saudi Arabia, no one knew he was going. All of this happens to Qatar and then magic. He gets the money. There's a lot of nefarious stuff that appears, at least appearance wise, looks shady and, 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 and dirty. Your thoughts? Uh-oh. I think Tim has frozen. I'm going to stay with you for a minute, Vicky, while we fix Tim's connection. But I'll say the same. I'll, I'll ask you the same question. There's a lot about the way that Jared Kushner operates, particularly when he's operating with his friends in Saudi Arabia um, and the way that he treated the way that they treated Qatar that seems incredibly dirty. Absolutely. Well, in fact, you, you mentioned earlier, Joy, that MBS used to describe uh, Jared Kushner as being in his pocket. When the Qatari deal went down, um, he told people he described Jared Kushner as the double dipper, uh, implication being that he was taking money from the Qataris as well, allegedly, uh, Jared Kushner has always denied this, from the Saudi Arabia. You know, the big, the big question here is, if there was a quid pro quo, when did it start and could it be proven? And that is obviously what I think Elizabeth Warren wants the Justice Department to look into. But there's no reason Congress shouldn't look into it as well. Yeah, indeed. And Tim is back. Uh, the, you know, technical. Listen, this is this is the modern era. Technical difficulties happen. But Tim, I want to let you finish your answer and also weave into it the fact that this was a guy, uh, Jared Kushner, who couldn't get a security clearance when he first got into his new well, job. He didn't qualify for. Go ahead. And you mentioned, you know, six 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 Fifth Avenue at the top. 
of this segment. And a reminder is that that was a disastrous investment. Jared Kushner does not have a strong track record as an investor. So there's a real issue as to why the Saudis would put this much money behind him to begin with. And there's only one reason. It's influence peddling. The, the, the Trump administration did a number of favors for the Saudis uh, while Kushner was still an advisor to Donald Trump. Um, they, they took the Saudi side in the Yemen conflict. Uh, they overrode a congressional ban on, on arms sales. To the Saudis. Uh, and then, as you mentioned as well, uh, Jared Kushner coached MBS on how to deal with the fallout from the murder of Jamal Khashoggi. And they did that over WhatsApp, off-standard government channel. They now have him um, basically in their pocket, I think, if Donald Trump runs for president again, which I think it's highly likely he will, and he becomes president again, but the Saudis now have a person in the White House who's there uh, to do their bidding. He's already demonstrated he will. They now have financial hooks into him. Um, you know, early on, not only did, did members of Trump's White House recognize Gerald, Jared Kushner as a national security risk, there were there were leaked intercepts from a number of, of intelligence agencies in the Middle East who had all identified Gerald, Jared Kushner as touchable. He was someone that they thought was vulnerable because he wasn't particularly bright, because it, he wasn't particularly shrewd, and he was an easy mark for them to put their finger on. If what's happened now with the Saudis looks like Jared Kushner's cashing in, it's absolutely because he's cashing in. Uh, is it a payoff? That needs to be explored. The problem is there are no clear laws he's violated. Are the current ethics laws don't prevent someone from leaving the White House and lobbying on behalf of a federal a government? They're not allowed to, you know, represent other domestic interests, but they have free reign with foreign governments. So I'm not sure what law he's broken. It begs it begs us to establish an emoluments clause for this kind of behavior after people leave the White House. Well, the other emoluments clause has no power because Donald Trump used the White House basically as a piggy bank the whole time. <laughs> so did Steve, Steve Mnuchin's out there cashing in. They're all cashing in. I think we need to change a whole lot of our, of our laws because it ain't working. Tim, Tim O'Brien, Vicki Ward, thank you both very much. And still ahead, legal marijuana sales are expected to rake in, get this, $33 billion this year. That's what the Jared Kushner got. But after decades of racial injustice and pot-related arrests, we're left asking who will benefit and who will be excluded from this new economic juggernaut. Fab Five Freddy joins me next. Don't go anywhere. Happy 420 to millions of Americans who smoke marijuana, weed, ganja, or reefer, as our parents used to call it. The medicinal plant has gone from an illicit drug purchased from some dude in high school to a multi-billion with a B dollar industry. It's so massive that legal marijuana sales in the U.S. are expected to hit $33 billion this year alone. That number could rise to $84 billion by 2028. 18 states in the District of Columbia have legalized the sale of recreational marijuana. In 21 states, many of them conservative, it is legal for medical purposes. A new CBS poll shows that two-thirds of Americans support legalization. The House passed a bill to decriminalize marijuana, but it's expected to fail in the Senate because, shockingly, the vast majority of our white geriatric conservative senators refuse to do what the public wants them to do. It's what they do. Meanwhile, communities of color are left to pay for that inaction as they are disproportionately policed and imprisoned for marijuana offenses. And it will not surprise you to learn that people of color remain in the minority when it comes to profiting from the booming legal marijuana business. 
According to Insider, white men comprise 70% of the executive level positions in some of the largest publicly created cannabis companies. Only 7% are black. With me now, Fab Five Freddy, hip-hop pioneer, street artist, filmmaker, cannabis advocate, and founder of Be Noble, which is sold in partnership with Curaleaf and my friend Fab. It is so good to see you. Um, and I want to I go back there because the thing about it is black people are disproportionately policed, you know, for selling weed and are disproportionately in prison right now for having sold weed or even possessing it. But black people are not not the ones making the big money from this industry. Why? Well, I want to first say great to see you, Joy. Happy 420 to you, to everybody yes. in the legacy game that's been on the front lines, all the bud tenders out there. Yes, the fight is real. Um, I learned a hell of a lot in the film I made a couple of years ago, Grass is Greener on Netflix, about the business, about the history, about the culture. And I'm happy to say that, you know, I was motivated by the film I made, jumped into the business, started a brand, partnered with Cure Relief called Be Noble. We're selling in 10 states right now, a two-joint pre-roll, which is also going to give back 10% to help expunge records and fix some of the harm. This was inspired by a gentleman in my film that was given a 13-year sentence for two joints of cannabis. So what we did is we had packaging with messaging, a two-joint pre-roll to inform people about about some of this nonsense that we're trying to fix, but it's also high quality cannabis. So the fight is real. We're also in 10 states and also available in New York in medical dispensaries. So the fight is real and we have a long way to go. I mean, and look, I grew up in, in Denver, Colorado. You know, I'm from Brooklyn, but I grew up in Denver. I mean, Colorado is like a boom town for weed. But the thing is, is that yes, you notice like Five Points, which used to be the hood, like Five Points was like where black people lived and not not well rich black people, like working class black folks live, is now completely gentrified. And it's weed that's doing it. You have guys who are coming from California, from Silicon Valley. They have cash. And so they're able to jump into this business, whereas a lot of people who have records for having grown and sold weed to those same kind of guys can't get in the business because they don't have the capital and they don't have the clearance because you can't have a record. How do we change that? Well, how we change that is if the MORE Act, the Marijuana Opportunity and Reinvestment um, an expungement act, if that gets passed, then we can begin to fix, once again, a lot of the harm. The system, the system that we have now is individual states come up with their own regulations. Some try to be more fair than others. New York State, I'm happy to say, recently passed legislation. We, we, we have the most progressive legislation in the country. And hopefully, as is planned, lots of folks of color are going to get a shot to sit at the table and get a piece of the pie. But the fight is real, is all I got to say. So we can't let yeah. up. And there's, once again, it's a disproportionate distribution of equity in this business. And it needs to yeah. be fixed and addressed. And Be Noble is all about doing that. And I want to note that there are some, uh, you know, black folks, in addition to Fab, who are involved in this NBA uh, legend, Al Harrington, a former Nick, a yes. former uh, Denver Nugget. I forgive him for being a former Pacer. We're going to go ahead and let him be that, too, um, <laughs> you know, as a business as well. But so there are high profile people in for somebody who is not high profile. They're not a Fab Five Freddy. They're not an Al Harrington. Is there a, a, a walk us through? What do you have to do to get into this business? 
Well, what you need to do first and foremost is understand what the regulations are in your state. And so once again, they vary from state to state. In the many states that have adult use cannabis, there's a whole broad spectrum of what can happen and what cannot. Luckily, like I said, partnering with the behemoth in this game, like Cureleaf, that wanted to do the right thing, make an equitable deal with us, and then, you know, walk through, like the compliance dynamics are different. But in terms of what the business opportunities are, one needs to lean in, get on that internet, see what's going on in your state. And if it's not an open door or as open as it needs to be, get at your representatives. We got to be loud. We got to make noise. We got to really articulate and like educate ourselves about what what goes on and the change that needs to happen. We need to get at our legislators and fight the fight. It's real. Yeah. Absolutely. And I will note that in Illinois, there's a community that's actually using uh, weed sales for, for reparations. Like there's a lot of good that can be done yes. uh, when it comes to uh, the, uh, the weed game. Happy 420 to you, Fab Five Freddy. Thank you very much. Really appreciate you being here. Um, and that awesome. is tonight's readout. Hey, it's Mel Robbins. Let's cut to the chase. There is a change you want to make right now, but you're waiting to feel motivated. You don't need motivation. You've got me. You can change your life anytime you want. And when you're ready, the Mel Robbins podcast is here to help you with inspiration and simple science-backed tools to help you create a better life. Listen to me and you'll feel motivated. All right. Listen and follow the Mel Robbins podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts.